morning, everybody. Some good singing there, on your part, anyway. Sounded wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's, it's funny, though, when you're singing a song and you hear the congregation do something that you should be doing, and you catch it, you're like, oh, wait, I should be holding that note out a little bit longer, because the whole congregation was like, it's your breath. And I stopped singing, you guys kept singing, I was like, oh, this is amazing. I love it. Well, listen, if you are kindergarten through fifth grade, I think you already left because they're gone to their classroom and that's where they ought to be. So, good. Now, have any of you ever really, truly wanted to be someone else? And not for what you would gain for being that person, they're rich or they're famous but for the reason that what they can do, they possess a skill or a talent that you're just like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that. Anybody? Okay. I always ask that question to Gage because I guarantee you every person in this room has thought, man, I wish I could be that person because I want to do that. I just kind of see who's willing to participate and raise their hand, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, Let's just go with me on this now. Let's say for an example, a, a hypothetical, that everybody in the room here, all of us, we really desperately want to be excellent artists, painters, painting, right? You with me? Painting beautiful pictures. Just the idea of creating something that is beautiful, that can just move somebody to tears. We all have this passion and desire to want to be that. You with me now? Okay, this is this is us collectively. But it, until we pick up a brush, until we have a brush in our hand and we're putting paint on canvas, can we truly and honestly call ourselves a painter? If we have yet to pick up a brush and put paint on a canvas, can we call ourselves a painter? No. No, we can't because we lack the one thing that defines us as an artist art. So we can't call ourselves a painter and artist because we have yet to actually do that. We are in agreement with that, right? And let's just say we all have some moderate degree of skill. We're not great, but we want to become great. What would we need then in order to help us to grow in our technique and our ability and our eye and all that kind of stuff? What would we need help with? Lessons. We need a teacher, somebody that can say, oh, look, here's how you hold the, the brush. Here's how you make this particular um, feature or, or, or texture or whatever. We need that help, right? Right? Right. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, you're an untrained artist who wears the label artist having never made art. It sounds a little bit weird, right? A little bit backwards. Even though you really want to be that, it doesn't make you that. You have to go through these steps in order to be that. Now, would you be surprised if I told you that there is something that every one of us as Christians, that there's something in us that our lives require the very same elements that we just discussed. Something about what we're called to that requires these things. You see, we're called to do something and be something in this life. A job title that we are called to wear that cannot be done without the aid of a great and perfect teacher. 
and cannot truly be aided in that without the help of a teacher. So today, in our passage, we're going to learn a couple of interesting things. Jesus is actually going to show his disciples that they are called to be fishers of men. I just told you that we have a title that we're supposed to wear as believers. That title is Fishers of Men. There's a lot of different names for this particular title, but in this case, in this category, in this example, it's Fishers of Men. So Jesus is going to show, hey, disciples, this is who you're called to be. And then without me, disciples, you can't do this the way that you ought to do it. We, likewise, my friends, are also called to be fishers of men. And we need Jesus' help in order to get us in the right path, teach us the techniques, lead us to the right places. Otherwise, we would be fishers of men with no fish. There may be some that wear that title of Christian that would say, yeah, I'm a fisher of men. I want to be like that person. I want to be the next Billy Graham, or I want to be so-and-so who's super evangelistic. But if they have no fish, they have no evidence, they have no training, they have no equipping, they have no real reason to call themselves that, right? All right, let's look at the text. Because I feel like once we read it and we get into it, you'll see where I'm going with this a little bit more. So we're in John chapter 21. We're at the very, very end now. These are the closing verses, actually, of John. So we're in chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. Give me an amen when you get there. Amen. Amen for all you looking at the screen. That was a quick amen. That's cool. I'll give the rest of you that want to turn your Bible. You're already there. Cool. Here's John 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out in line, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Altogether. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come, have breakfast. Now none of them, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we pause in this moment 
to reflect on your goodness. And as we just sang, that you are the breath in our lungs, Lord. You are life in us. You give us hope. You restore all things. And we're so grateful for the way in which you love us and care for us. And now I pray, Lord, for your help as we look to your word that brings transformation, growth, depth, maturity. God, what do you have for us this morning? How would you want for us to move from this place into the next and use your word from these verses this morning? Show us, I pray. Reveal it to us, I pray. And give us focus now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, if you have questions this morning, if you'd like to interact with us, you can text that number on the screen. Mike and I will come up here at the end and we'll work to get some answers for you. Mommy, come on, what are you doing? (laughs) Mommy's like, I've been doing that for seven months. Okay. Now, some of you were here with us all the way back in January when we started John. And you may recall that there's there's a very specific format that John writes his, his letter, his book, his gospel account in. There was an, uh, an, a beginning, and what do you call the beginning? Remember, anybody? Prologue. Prologue. It's just the first 18 verses. He's just kind of setting things up. Then he transitions to the signs of Jesus. How many signs were there? Seven, Seven, right? So we have basically the rest of chapter one all the way through chapter 12. So essentially the first half is the signs of Jesus. And then picking up in chapter 13, we have what we call the farewell discourse, which is essentially the last seven days of Jesus' life. So half of the book, the second half that we've been studying now is just the last couple of days of Jesus' life. Do you remember that? Now we have what is called the prologue. Sorry, the epilogue. I can get this backwards in my mind. The epilogue. It's the closing of the whole thing. So the story is complete, but now John is going to shift gears on us a little bit. He's landing the plane, if you will. And he transitions from the life of Jesus. That's essentially the first 20 chapters. He's going to transition from the life of Jesus to the life of his disciples and the church. So these, whatever it is, 20-something verses that we're going to look at over the next two weeks are directed specifically to the church, to us. He said, here's why I'm here, here's what I did, now here's what you're about to do. Because we've spent a lot of time, haven't we, walking through the life of Jesus, studying about his mission. He came on assignment to seek and save the lost, right? He came to live a life free from sin. We know we read about that. To give his life freely as a sacrifice. We learned that his death made a way for us to be brought back into relationship, into fellowship with God the Father, our creator. And that it's through the blood of Jesus Christ alone that we have this available to us. We kind of covered that quite a a bit. Uh, In Mark, when Jesus is asked, what must I do to be saved? He says, you must do two things. Let me know what those two things are. Repent and believe. 
He said, you must repent and believe. It's as simple an answer as Jesus could to give, to follow him, to be saved. That's it. So repent. Change your mind. Change your mind about who you are, about your sin, and about who God is, and your need for him. And believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his life makes a way of salvation, of forgiveness and reconciliation. If we have faith, if we believe. So repent and believe. That's what this whole thing has been encompassing for us. Because why was the whole point that John is writing this for us? That we would believe. The whole point of this gospel for us to believe. So repent and believe. So we got that. Okay, 20 chapters is a long time to cover that information. Now, what are we doing with it? So in these closing verses of the gospel, Jesus shows us how we are going to participate in the mission of God, together with him, moving forward. Once we repent and believe, we're brought into the fold as workers with God and his kingdom. I don't think yet I've told you anything you don't know, um, but the Bible tells us that we are his ambassadors, his representatives. He calls us ministers of reconciliation. That's a pretty cool title to carry, too. Remember I told you there's lots of titles, fishers of men, ambassadors, but I really love that one, ministers of reconciliation. We carry the message of the gospel out to the lost as ministers of that reconciliation. We are the agents of change. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change, but we are the ones who carry that message. Are we not? Yeah. Amen. Okay. So in John 20... 21 through 23, we were there a couple of weeks ago. Jesus issues what we now know as the Great Commission. Just a couple of verses. It's the call to action for followers of Jesus to go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey or observe all that they've been taught. That's, in a nutshell, the Great Commission. Go and proclaim. Make disciples. This is our calling. In fact, in all three of the synoptic Gospels, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus calls the fishermen that will soon be his disciples, and he uses a very curious phrase that we've already heard this morning. Matthew 4.19 said, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 4.19. That's in the very beginning, as he's calling his disciples, this is what he tells them. That's a strange title, don't you think? Like, for just a couple of dudes who are out there on the boat trying to make a living, and he's like, hey, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And what do they do? They follow him. <laughs> they literally drop everything, everything they've ever known, their, their substance, their life, all of it, and they just follow him so that they can become fishers of men. Do you think in that moment they even knew what that meant? Nope. But they were compelled enough to go, I'm going. I don't know what that means, but I am going. Now we know, having studied John almost entirely now, what Jesus meant by that. We have the benefit of looking backwards through time and seeing exactly what he was talking about. And what does it mean that he calls us to be fishers of men? Okay, yeah, just make sure we're all on the same page. Making disciples. In other words, he calls us to go out among the lost, introduce them to God, and then disciple them into a relationship with Jesus. This is Jesus' model. This is the, the model we see in the New Testament through Paul and all of the other uh, initial church leaders. We go out among the lost. 
We, we, we share who God is. We share the message of hope, of reconciliation, and then we disciple people into a relationship with Jesus. But our aim is to participate in the mission of God and see many people come to faith in him. And that's a key word in this whole process, participation. So just keep that locked away for you. And we're going to see exactly what he means by that from our text. So in in the verses this morning, after we get a little bit of context, where Jesus, he's going to again reveal himself to the disciples. How many times now has he revealed himself? This is the third time. And what have they decided to do with their time in this moment? They're going fishing. Peter's like, I'm going fishing. And what do the disciples say? Yeah, we'll go with you. So there's a handful of them out there. They're fishing. And in this moment, we get our first indication of how Jesus partners with us in his mission. So the first thing we see, if you're a note taker, if you're just a mental note guy, is that Jesus leads us to where the fish are. So we're, we're partnering with God and his mission as fishers of men. And the first thing we see here is that Jesus leads us to where the fish are. Now keep in mind that this epilogue is a transition from the life of Jesus to the life of us. And this story, this image, this picture of fishing is not an accident. This is purposeful. He's using it to set up the entire context of our role in this mission. So the disciples, they're out there fishing, but what is noticeably absent from the scene as we get to verse 5? They're fishing all night, they're fishermen, what are they missing? They got no fish. (laughs) They've got no fish. They've been at it all night and they've caught nothing. So as fishermen, they're missing fish. But as disciples of Jesus in this moment, what else are they missing? Disciples of Jesus, they're missing Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher. He's not involved in their work yet. They have yet to be led to what it is that they're called to and what they're looking for. Reminds me of of a time I was working on uh, our shower at our our old house. It's one of those pull shower things where it turns the water on. You can turn it and make it hot and cold, right? So I've got it. I've got the water off at at the street. And I've got this all pulled apart, and there's a little valve behind there that kind of regulates the pressure. And it was all built up with calcium and all kinds of stuff, so the water pressure was garbage. So I I pull it all apart, and I've got my little thing, and I go down to Lowe's. This is long before I worked there. And I'm going up and down the plumbing aisle. I'm confident that I can find this little piece. It's not a unique piece. It's not special order. It's just a piece. So I'm cruising around. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, I can find this. And I'm like 20 minutes into this thing, looking, looking, hunting searching. There's like two aisles there. I go back and forth, back and forth. And with every minute that passes, I'm getting a little bit more frustrated, a little more discouraged because everything's on pause at home. Like, don't touch anything. Don't flush any toilets. Don't wash any clothes. Don't do anything. Right? So I feel this pressure mounting. I've seen the guy, the dude with like the little vest who works there. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Maybe it's pride, arrogance, laziness. I don't ask him just yet. So I'm 30 minutes into this thing now, still haven't found it, and I'm like, okay. Walk over to the guy, show him the part, I was like, um, do you know where this is? 
And basically, he feel, I feel like he takes me by the hand, right back to where I was standing, grabs it, puts it in my hand. And I just look at him. I try to say something audibly, nothing comes out. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Imagine the amount of time, energy, frustration, and sanity I could have saved if I just went directly to the dude who knew where everything was, like, hey, where's this? Can anybody relate to that? Anybody at all? Right. Man, so frustrating. The same is true for us, however, in our mission with God. Look, he knows where the fish are. He knows what we're looking for, and he will lead us to that fish. Who are we to engage with the gospel? Specifically, who? Yeah, the lost. And he knows who those are. In each one of your lives, you have a circle around you, people who don't know the Lord. He will lead you to the fish. Now, let me tell you something, though. This is a learned skill. Right? It's a spiritual muscle, so to speak. How do you, some of us are experts in this and some of us maybe not so much, but how do you gain muscle mass? How do you grow your muscles in real life, in reality? You lift, right? You get your swole on, you go to the gym, you exercise it. You actually use the muscle and then theory is it gets bigger and stronger, right? I mean, that's how it's supposed to work. Anyway, you got to exercise it. And so this This idea of listening and being led to where the fish are is a developed thing. It's a major piece of the message here today. We can't be fishers of men if we have no fish. And if we're not being led to where the fish are, we are not going to catch. Just like the disciples, all night, throwing the net, throwing the net, throwing the net. They were in the wrong place. Jesus comes along and is like, it's right there. Lo and behold, look at all the fish that we caught. And what do we see in verse 6? After admitting they had caught nothing. Children, do you have any fish? No, we've got nothing. He directs them to exactly where the fish are. And they were close, right? But close doesn't count, except in horseshoes and grenades. Right? They can't haul in a net for all the fish that they've got there. So Jesus leads us where the fish are, but we have to be willing to listen and go, which ties directly into the nicely into the next point, which is this. All of us as Christians respond to following Jesus. So what is your response? If you're a believer in this room, you have responded in following Jesus, but what exactly is your response? Because we're going to see from this text. Two basic responses in following Jesus. We've got Peter's response, and then we've got the remaining disciples' response. So, John recognizes that's that's him. That's the Messiah. And he basically, there's an exclamation point there, so I'm assuming it was like with some, some gusto, some energy. That's the Lord! And he tells Peter, that's the Lord! And what is Peter's response? He grabs his shirt and throws himself into the sea. Yes, Peter, you gotta love his response, right? So the two words that describe Peter here is that he heard and he threw. He heard it was the Lord and he threw himself into the sea. Now, if we could be just a fraction more 
like Peter, in our following of Jesus, we would be better off. Right? We would. Not foolish, not reckless, but all in and immediate in our response to following Jesus. But then we have the response of the remaining disciples. It's a bit more calculated. Some might look at it um, as um, reserved or hesitant. Whatever we call their response, we got to take note that they did something different. They stayed in the boat and they made sure that the boat got back to the shore because what was in the boat? The fish, the catch, the things that they needed in order to eat and, and make a living, that was important to them. So I believe that the response that Jesus is looking for from us as his followers is somewhere in the middle of these two. Right? Just a little less hesitancy, but with commitment and excitement. However, ensuring that the things around us, what, what also we are responsible for, are also well cared for. Because we can't just go, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to run away and, and, and make disciples. Oh yeah, I got a family and I got things that I got to do responsibility, but no, I'm going all the way that way. That may be a bit of an extreme response. But the danger, though, is that sometimes we let the things around us become a distraction or an excuse for joining Jesus in his work. And these things are legitimate sometimes, most of the time. I mean, if you've got a job, you've got responsibilities, like you can't just abandon those things or or give them half of your attention. Like we're called to do all things as unto the Lord. We have to do these things well. But how many of us honestly have used those responsibilities in our lives as a, a, a distraction or an excuse for not following fully as we should? I bet it's all of us if we're really being honest. And hear me now, this is not a guilt trip. It's not an emotional appeal but we have to, we must, from time to time, look at the responsibilities around us. Things that require our time and our attention, our energy. And, and consistently evaluate what our response to, his, to him is in our particular season of life, given what we have to care for. Because if we're not careful, we can go sometimes months, years, trying to make sure that the things around us are, are, are well cared for and taken care of. And we just neglect the mission that God has called us to for the sake of these things that are noble and good. So I think what the Lord is asking us to is, is to evaluate fairly regularly. Okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young mother. I've got young children. I'm somewhat limited in what I can do right now. But in six months, a year from now, I should probably reevaluate my life because I'm in a different place. Maybe you're brand new. I'm a brand new Marine officer. I'm just trying to figure out how to live life and I can barely keep my head above water. You're in a different season, but six months, a year from now, you're in a different place. You see how you can do both? You can, you can be the disciples who responsibly bring the boat around to the dock, but you can also be like Peter who's like just sort of itching, ready to go, or like, I'm ready. There's a tension there, but we've got to find it. And that's the point. Whether we're throwing ourselves into the work of Jesus or are a bit more cautious along the way, We've got to respond to his call and assess with regularity that response. Okay, so we see the rest of the disciples, they make it to the shore, and what do they see there when they get there? What kind of fire? A charcoal fire. This is going to play a huge role in next week's message. 
big, big time. So we're, we're going to pause on the charcoal fire piece, but what is the fire at this point being used for? Cooking. Cooking. we got a meal. There's fish laid on it and some bread. To be more accurate, though, you can't read it in the English translation, but in the original language, it's a fish. It's singular. There is a fish on the fire and some bread. That's going to come in here in a moment. And who did all that? Who made all that happen? Jesus did, right? And then he does something in verse 10 that brings us to our next point, and that is this, that Jesus invites us to participate in the fishing. That is the mission of God. He invites us to participate. So even though he's got a meal ready, he invites them to bring some of the fish that they just caught. Isn't that what he said? Hey, go get some of the fish that you just caught. And again, the way that it's worded draws attention to the fact that the meal was incomplete without the fish that they had just caught. Something was missing. Jesus had a fish, but there was more fish. They needed to bring what they caught to the meal in order for it to have its full significance. It's only once the disciples bring the fish that they have this full meal and it reaches its significance. Now it's worth noting, Jesus says to them, Go and get the fish that you just caught. But we all know who's responsible for catching the fish. Jesus. He's the one that led them there. He's the one that showed them how to get. Without them, there was no fish. So Jesus, it appears then, it shows them that the catching of the fish, the meal preparation, this whole thing, reveals to them that their nature of involvement is participation. Participation in the mission of God. We play a critical role in our title, Fisher of Men. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, and, and by extension us, that we are to share in and continue his work here on earth. And he invites us to participate in the work with him. And yet, even though we must continue in our faithfulness to the mission and to the work of God, we must be readily ready to admit and acknowledge that without Jesus, it's just not going to happen. Remember the, the, the teacher with the artist thing? Like, you can hold a paintbrush and just try to throw paint all over the place, but until somebody directs you and leads you and helps you, you're not going to find the kind of success you're looking for. We have to depend on him because he leads us to the fish. He equips us with the message. He is the one that actually brings transformation into their lives. Our responsibility is to cast the net. That's what we're called to. Just cast the net. But we've got to be in the boat, don't we? If we're going to be fishers of men, if we're going to be fishing, just follow the metaphor. I know you get it, though. We have to be in the boat. If we're not in the boat, we're not going to catch any fish. If God's mission is for us to be fishers of men, to be out among the lost, discipling them into a relationship with him, we need to be out there, in our boat, ready to respond to his call, ready to be led to the fish and ready to cast the net. So ask yourself the question this morning, where is your boat? 
Yeah, you're in the boat. If you're a believer, yes, you're in the boat, but maybe your boat is on the shore. And you're sitting there, you're like, all right, Jesus, I'm ready. But you're not even in the water. You're lacking access to the fish. Maybe your boat is in the very, very shallow water. You kind of got it out there, and, but you're nowhere near where the fish is. You're ready, you're willing, but you have to embrace the fact that God is now inviting you into the mission. He's calling you further out into the water where the actual fish are. And these are progressions. This is a step, like you have to get in the boat, on the shore, and then maybe you push it out, and now you're on the edge, okay? Now maybe you're out in the water, but you're nowhere near where the fish are. And you gotta learn that Jesus is going to lead you to where the fish are. You gotta hear that voice and go, okay, this is where I'm going. And then follow the Lord's direction as he reveals it to you. Jesus tells us elsewhere, with a different sort of metaphor, that the harvest is plentiful. You've heard this, right? The harvest is plentiful. But what? The laborers, the workers, are few. So if you, if you put that into our context, you would say, the fish are plentiful, but the willing fishers of men are few. And the amazing thing is, we see in verse 11 that Jesus has enough room for as many fish as we can help get into the net. Right? 153 huge, large fish, and John points out that the net did not break. It probably should have broke with the amount of weight and all that. The point is, Jesus has more than enough room. You can't get enough fish into that net to break it. And here's the, the kicker in all this. As this is all unfolding, they so desperately want to ask and verify, are you the Lord? Are, are you him? Like, are, are you really him? But did they ask him? No. They had more questions. They, they, they wanted some answers, but they didn't ask him. Why? Because they knew that it was him. That's weird. They knew that it was him, but they still had questions. They were like, the disciples could rest assured in the person and work of Jesus, even though they still had things they weren't certain of. Didn't we learn a little bit about that last week when Pastor Mike was preaching? We all have doubts from time to time. Every one of us. And this is not to minimize their doubts or yours, but to highlight the need to make those doubts subservient to your faith. The fact is, until we are with Jesus, whether he comes back or, or you're up there with him, until that happens, this life of following him is going to be just sort of this spattering ebbing and flowing between belief and doubt. That's our, part of our human fallen nature that still exists. We're going to struggle with these things. But, but until he comes again, our faith can be and must be sustained by the very object of our faith, Jesus. He is reliable. He is worthy of our attention, our focus, and our trust. My friends, Jesus builds his kingdom. We don't build the church. 
Jesus builds his kingdom. However, he invites us into the work. But apart from Jesus, we're unable to meaningfully participate in that mission. So are you fishers of men this morning who are perhaps lacking fish? Are you a disciple of Jesus maybe who's lacking a little bit of the presence of Jesus in your life? Much like the disciples in their boat. So again, I would ask you to ask yourself, where is your boat this morning? What adjustments do you need to make in order to join Jesus in this amazing mission that he's called us all to? That's my prayer for all of us this morning, just that we would just just give ourselves a little bit of a a moment. And we can do that now, even as we reflect and and sing a song here shortly. Where's our boat this morning? And where, where do we need to go? What do we need to do a little bit differently to be just a little bit closer to partnering with Jesus effectively in his mission? And again, be mindful that this is a process. This happens over a long period of time. right? You don't just become an artist overnight. Just because you got all the things, a great teacher and all the tools, and you're putting paint to canvas doesn't make you a great painter. But you put in the work, you exercise those muscles, and you grow in your ability to paint. And we are all called to be fishers of men. We carry that title, that label, and we, and we learn to trust that Jesus leads us to where the fish are. We learned a couple of weeks ago that he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit in that process to give us boldness and encouragement to go and do that. That he teaches us, he equips us, he leads us, teaches us along the way. And we go out there. At work, at school, in your neighborhood, at the parks, in the line, the post office, wherever it is that he's calling you to. And you exercise these muscles of bringing people into an awareness of who God is. Deepening their appreciation for who he is. And then, Lord willing, discipling them into a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious and mighty Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness and the fact that you have us here for a purpose and for a reason. And that's an amazing thing. And as we learn from your word this morning, Lord, you have invited us into the work of your mission. That we can be ambassadors for you, Christ. Representatives, ministers of reconciliation. Lord, you've given us a message of hope that sets people free. This world is broken. People are hurting, crying out for something to change. And regardless of the situation that any human being is in, the answer is found in the gospel. Period. You are the answer for every pain, struggle, challenge, difficulty 
in the lives of not only us, but the people around us. And you've called us to bring that message to them. What a privilege, Lord. And so I pray, God, that you would help us wherever we are in that journey, wherever we are in our boat, whether we have yet to get in the boat, if we're not yet a follower of you, or whether we're out there and we're casting that every day. God, that you would just show us and lead us how we can continue to trust in you, to grow us in our obedience and in our love for you because it's because of your grace, mercy, and love that we're able to do this in the first place. We thank you for it all. You are good and worthy of all that we have to give. And we ask for your help now and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.